This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. This is the interview I have been teasing on my channel, One Rental at a Time, for about a week now. Uh, We are going to bring on a guest who works at a company and personally looks at the single family real estate market more than I do. That's hard to do. Uh, I'm on record talking about 2021 being, generally speaking, a good year. We're going to challenge some assumptions from other YouTube entertainers. I got some hard questions, and I look forward to his thoughts and feedback because maybe I am wrong. But let's welcome Rick to the show. How you doing, man? Hey, Michael. Good. Thanks for having me. Well, do me a favor, Rick. Introduce yourself to my audience, uh, who you are, who you work for, and then I got some, I got some meaty topics for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I am a director of research at John Burns Real Estate Consulting. So for those who don't know, firm's been around about 20 years. Our client base, it, it really stretches across the entire housing ecosystem. So I know single family rentals, the, the topic of discussion for this, this conversation, but we, we work with home builders, land developers, apartment developers, institutional investors, all the groups trying to change the way homes are bought and sold and financed. So I love my role because I get a nice seat into all of those conversations. And I think my, one of my um, more useful qualitative indicators is the flow of emails coming through my name. <laughs> and, and I find that that's a very good early indicator on where things are going. That is, that's awesome. And you've been, uh, I know you were with the, you started with them, or at least your first turnaround was way back in 06. So pre-crash. Yeah, so I um, so kind of un- out of undergrad. You're, you're aging me now, but um, I've been in residential real estate for about 15 years or so. Right out of undergrad, um, worked uh, in investment banking. Found that real estate kind of touched a lot of the deals that we worked on, and uh, said, you know, I really like residential real estate. And so then I found John, entry level analyst, um, which was a great time to be in the industry and just oh, kind of yeah. learn how frothy things can get. Like I remember listening to earnings calls with Angela Mozilla at Countrywide and you're just scratching your head. Like, this, what this is going on? Yeah. This doesn't really make sense. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I went to grad school, then worked at the Milken Institute, which is a think tank. Yeah. Um, my, my team was focused on the mortgage industry, which was great as well. Um, had about a year or so doing home builder sell-side research at Morgan Stanley. And then the last seven years or so have been as our head of research here at John Burns. And I hope this is my last go around and I kind of stay here for a while. There you go. Well, this, this is why I wanted to talk with you because A, you know, my journey in real estate again started back uh, in 02 actually. So a little bit before you. Uh, and I remember getting, I was a consumer of Countrywide. So I, I saw the frothiness and I saw how it changed from the first house I bought in 02 to the last one I bought with them in 06. And let's just say it was a different experience. So I, I, one of the things I forgot to tuck into my bio, and I'm glad you brought this up. So I, I'm born and raised in Southern California, although I've, I've lived in New York, I've lived in London, but Countrywide was, was started for the most part out in kind of the Ventura County, Southern yeah. California area, Westlake, Simi Valley. And I actually interned during, I think one of my summers, 
um, wow. in college for Countrywide as a loan processor, wow. right? And so, so I'm very young and I felt like I was doing it pretty fast and I was being instructed like, hey, you got to go faster here. <laughs> so that, that kind of tells you <laughs> yeah. what, was, what was going on. And, and, you know, I'm like 21 maybe. And I'm just like, you know, I think I should spend a little more time looking at this. Like, no, no, no we got to go. Let's go faster, faster. So yeah. Tells you a little bit what was going on. Yeah, it was, it was nutty. And um, yeah, I remember Simi Valley. I was selling software. I, I was at Countrywide. I saw them buy millions and millions of dollars of stuff. And then poof, they were gone. It was crazy. Indie bank, yep. all that stuff. But the reason I want to talk to you is because we both have that experience. We both know what that felt like. We also know what the downside felt like because that yeah. that crash from uh, like call it 09 to like 13 was ugly all across the board for builders going out of business, lenders blowing up. It, it was pretty ugly. So the first question I have for you is where do you come down on YouTube entertainers? And I use that to term loosely. They usually have three or four years experience, maybe about one home and suddenly they're pontificating about real estate. They're calling for 30 to 40% national, national real estate declines in 2021. Do you think that's even mathematically possible? No. And, and so when you say <laughs> declines, are you talking about home prices? Yes. That's what they are talking about. Home values, let's call it nationally, what are 313 or something today or thereabouts? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you, um, so we, we put out a, a research peach, a research report every month yep. that it's about 350 slides, believe it or not. And then we try to digest that down into a 10 slide executive summary, <laughs> digest that into like a 400 word email, which really hits people with, here's what you got to know. Yeah. Punch uh, them in the nose. So, yep. Yeah. So our home price forecast for next year is 8%. Ah, and so that's not a 30% decline last time I checked. No. And I, I can't tell you anybody that I've spoken to core logic is one of the more bearish out there in terms of home price forecasts. But when you get under the hood on, why are they saying that mm -hmm. it's, it's a very quantitative driven model. Mm -hmm. And one of the inputs in their model is the unemployment rate. Right. So if that's a big weight in your model, then yeah, historically speaking, housing doesn't do well when you've got 7% unemployment. Correct. But this recession has been so different from any other recession we've ever seen Correct. in that housing has thrived. Um, and yeah. so we think you're going to get a little bit of a moderation in home price appreciation. So like this year, we were calling for 11% price appreciation, which is probably going to happen nationally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we think there'll be some moderation, but the foundation for a pretty solid housing market next yeah. year is, is still there. Yeah. And we're talking nationally here, folks. I do think there will be a couple of cities that have pain. They kind of have that combo of dominoes, like San Francisco probably is the most oh, acute yeah. example, right? Yep. Real, there'll be localized pain, but just if you're listening to any YouTube entertainer that's talking about a decline nationally of 30%, you need to stop listening to them. The math is not there. It's just, it's just nonsense. Nationally. So that's just, nationally. Very hard. Yeah. Just nationally. I mean, the only thing that, the only thing that could do that is if interest rates jumped from, let's call it 2.75 or 3% to 9%, that would crush housing in a heartbeat. I mean, that's like the one black swan. And that was like, that's, that was the main caveat in our client email that we're getting ready to send out, I think today. It's, huh, look at that. It's, you know, here's our forecast. And if something were to change around mortgage rates, then our forecast would change drastically because- like we, we look at a lot of affordability gauges and this is, too. you know, staying high level to national. 
So if you, if you look at home price to income ratios at a national level, we are already at all time highs. Yes. So that's scary, right? That's scary. But from a consumer standpoint, it's the payment <laughs> that they really care about. And so if you do a housing payment to income ratio, yeah. we're a little bit above the historical average. So I think that's 29.2%. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I feel like you read our email already. No, uh, I, uh, I follow this stuff. I've been doing it for 20 years. So uh, yeah. it's funny. I just sent out those two charts you referenced to my entire audience. It oh, awesome. It says, the first one basically said, hey, all the YouTube entertainers are pointing at this chart and saying there's a problem. It's in, yeah, price to income. But folks, I have never met a soul that buys a house on that. They buy on no. payment. And again, yeah. I've been doing it 20 years. My first interest rate was almost 7%. People are buying today, they're getting 2.75%, 2.5%. It's it, Exactly. Yep. I, I, I was talking to somebody that was getting a, over a million dollar jumbo loan here in Southern California at 2.375%. It's just asinine. Just crazy. I mean, it's, it's good for them. I mean, it's just, I, yeah. I break that down going, folks, it's not about price. And again, I follow affordability. I mean, if you ever read my book, One Rental at a Time, affordability index is what saved me. I focus on Fresno, California, just in full the okay. only market I look at every day. I still look at it every day. And, um, and I think it was, I forget it'd be oh, late 06 might've been early 07. I sold all the houses I had, which was eight. And I moved everything into apartments because affordability told me, right. Affordability in Fresno got to 20, right. That's a California number, right? Yep. Today it's at 48. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy as many houses as I can because that's where the opportunity is. And well, because in my market, multifamily is getting crushed because A, vacancies are up, non-payments are up, turns are up. They, apartments are where their pain are today. Housing is where people want to go. So I think 2020 is going to go down is a couple of things. One is space is good, right? If you are a class A renter and you have the financial means and your job is saying you can work from anywhere, you're going to go, why spend four grand in a shoebox in San Fran or New York? I'm going to go get a, a home somewhere. Uh, two, we're going to see millennials who are late to purchase, right? They're now in their, some of them are in their thirties. My daughter's 29. So right on the door, uh, they're going to be buying their first time homes, right? It's, it's just, it, it, I don't see. And then the last thing about 2020 is it's going to be a uh, lack of supply year. Exactly. Flip, flip that over. This is what I'm thinking for 2021. I see supply coming back, which is going to moderate prices, right? Yep. No, we're, we're, we are definitely baking that in. I think what, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> what we, so what we saw this year um, on the existing side, so resale market, yeah, which is, yeah. you know, call it 90% of all transactions roughly. Yeah. Um, there, there was just not a lot of supply. And that's been the case for really the last four or five, six years, even pre-COVID. But when you get crazy price appreciation and you get home equity starting to really jack up and hockey stick, that then gives people some, some cushion and yep. some money in their wallet to then go and move up and then maybe go and buy a second home. And so those are the things that we're starting to think about for 2021. And it's one of the reasons why we, so when we forecast new home sales, new home prices, resale sales, resale prices. So our forecast for resale transactions nationally next year is for 15% growth versus on the new home side, we're calling for, I believe it's 7% growth. And, and that hasn't been the case for really a long time where we've had resale transactions mm -hmm. in terms of growth exceeding um, home builder transactions. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is what you just said is on the supply side. And, and also too, 
for a, for a long time, rates were kind of at this three and three quarters, 4% yeah. and just hovering. And people had got in and locked in that mortgage rate and then said, all right, I'm good. I don't, I don't need to go and buy another home. Yeah. I'm set. And that was called the lock-in effect. That's what kind of the things that we were thinking about that were going to suppress transaction volumes. Now you get rates shooting down to 3%, even lower, like I was just mentioning earlier, two and a half for some loans. And that is steroids for people to say, okay, now I'm going to go out. And now this makes sense. I'm going to go and buy a different home, move up. Yeah. Again, I think next year is going to be the move. I'm calling it the move up buyers. Because again, what, what I'm seeing again, one market, I, I want to talk to you because you're nationally and see if it makes sense. I saw a lot of people that like, if you bought in 2010, 11 and 12 in my market, you're sitting on gobs of equity, right? Yep. That was like the bottom of the market. You were probably already thinking of selling, right? Because now you're, you're in, people don't stay more than seven or eight years average in a home, right? So you were coming mm -hmm. right up on your time to naturally move anyway, then this pandemic happens. The first thing you hear is, I don't want anybody touching my stuff, right? Yeah. Nobody's coming in, right? Then you go, damn, this thing's going on forever. I'm going to go to Home Depot and Lowe's and buy some paint, right? I have new carpet. I'm just going to make where I live better. Now we hear vaccines are coming. People are going to start feeling better. The weather will warm up and improve around the country come April, May. I just see whatever a normal spring selling season is, you're going to double it. And maybe even two and a half times because- Rates are going to be low all next year. Uh, that equity spread is going to grow, right? There's been a trillion dollars in equity added this year, right? 17 grand a house, nationally speaking. I just see a lot of people salivating and uh, moving up. So, and, and the beauty of that is it's two transactions. Today, it's kind yeah. of one transaction. It's right. It's your first time buyers. Exactly. Now you're going to sell this and you're going to buy this. And it's just going to, transactions are going to go up big time next year, in my opinion. And that, and that's really what the housing market needs. It needs that churn and exactly. liquidity, which if you've only got the entry level part of the market going gangbusters, which the entry level part of the market has been super strong for the last couple of years, outperforming mm -hmm. move up, outperforming luxury. Correct. But like you just said, that's just somebody coming in and buying a home. They're not then releasing another home into the market as they move up. Mm -hmm. um, which is why resale transactions have been pretty limited too. But now if you get that changing and you get those kind of combo transactions, like you just said, that's one of the reasons why we think you could get 15% growth in resale sales next year. Yeah. Ah, oh, I'm glad that my uh, Fresno experience of 20 years kind of resonates with nationally. So this is cool. Um, so the other thing, so again, you're, you're thinking resale goes up 15% next year, roughly speaking. Total, total transactions, yeah. yes. And home prices up 8%. Yeah, I'll just I'll just I'll just record this now. I'm telling people I'm thinking 10%, but I, I did that maybe. I, I think you could be right. And if and if somebody said, Hey, tell me if there's more risk to the downside or upside, I think we would say more risk to the upside because yeah, um, you know, we, we might get into this in, in this conversation, but the the acronym of, of FOMO, fear of missing out, is definitely exactly. there. I mean, it's you it, it's it's palatable in conversations and news articles, and and so that is something that can really just push the market beyond what rational indicators tell you makes sense. And that's where I was going to go to next. And it's because you remember your internship, go faster. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yep. We, I'm calling this year kind of like 04, 04, 2004 was kind of the last rational year, right? Cause then 05 got a little bit better. 06 was yep. I'll call it crazy. And then like, oh, seven, oh, eight was insane, right? If you just kind of follow that logic, I think we're, 
I think we're in the last year of sanity. And I do think it's fear of missing out. I do think the millennials are going to be a big deal. And generationally, they're the largest group now. And when yep. they start telling their friends, because this is going to happen, right? It happened last time. You buy a house, you enjoy it. You have a barbecue. You tell your friends about how you made 50 grand and when you didn't oh. really make it, right? They're just, yep. they're just chatterbox, right? Around the water cooler. And oh, by the way, blah, blah, blah. It's just going to. But it's, it's like gamblers. They never tell you when they lose. <laughs> they only tell you when they're winning. And oh, yeah. so and you're, you're having those conversations and, you know, knock on wood, people can actually get out and interact starting next year with the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Those conversations are going to happen. Ah, I bought this house six months ago on Zillow. Now it tells me it's worth 50 grand more. And that just, that just kind of gets oh, the, yeah. the, the conversations flowing and it yeah. snowballs. Oh, and, and, and. Yeah. Snowball is the right word. I mean, right now we're kind of rocking the snowball on top of a cliff, right? Yep. It, it's, it's, it's going to fall. And again, the, the positive news is, is just starting. That's what I learned from the last crash kind of 05, 06, 07, just that feedback loop kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Yep. And it just exploded to unimaginable levels. I mean, just for example, let's just talk real numbers. I bought a house, 1818 Norris Drive East, Fresno, 93703, 107. I sold it at the peak or at least what I thought was the peak for 264. That's wild. In Zillow, it continued to go to 300. So whoever bought it made 36, well, artificially made 36 grand. It then resold for 75 grand. Today, it's worth 214. Just to show you how nutty it was. Yeah. Right. So, and that's the thing too. It's, it is really hard to time things, no matter what asset class you're in. And so when you get to a position like you were, where, hey, I'm sitting on a lot of cash here, made good money. Risks are probably that things are going to get worse. Yeah. Upside, downside. Yep. Get better. So let me take some chips off the table. And that's kind of how we, we like to communicate things to our clients. And so we've, we've got like a ton of different risk metrics that we'll, we'll communicate them to like, Hey, housing cycle risk in this market is higher than it really ever has been. So you might want to factor that in as you're doing land deals. So it's, um, yeah, yeah. What you, what you're saying resonates even like on a, on a bigger macro scale too. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about, again, I've been through several bear markets, down cycles, uh, and I'm back to the core logic kind of comment. Unemployment is different this time. This is your and I's first pandemic, right? We've never been, we've been through recessions. We, I would call what we went through a real estate depression. Oh yeah. Um, you know, last time this is different, right? I'm calling it the K-shaped recovery. I've been doing it for six or nine months. Now the, the, the rest of the world seems to be catching on to that. And why I bring that up is if you are on the top level of the K, that's where your home buyers are yep. white collar financial means college educated. In most cases, they're the least impacted. And Oh, by the way, they're saving money because they're not going to ball games and in restaurants and all of that stuff. So they have the capital and their employers are saying, at least many of them work from anywhere. Um, yeah. And, and that's, you're totally right. Um, and this has really been a renter's recession, but then you, exactly. you've got to even cut renters into buckets. It mm-hmm. hasn't been a single family rental recession. It's been more of a apartment recession. And then Agreed. Your, your, your point on, um, Right. So the COVID surge and people buying bigger homes because they're at home, fixing it up, their kids are at home, they're working from home. We think 2020 is going to be the biggest year of that surge, but then the structural shift isn't going to completely go away. So we, we think that this is going to be something that lasts for a long time. 
Um, especially if employers are like, Hey, you don't have to come back or, you know what, as long as you're within a hundred miles, we're going to keep your salary the same. I think I've heard Facebook is doing something like that. Yeah. Um, then that tells you, Oh, now I was in San Francisco. I can go out to Sacramento. So that happens across the country yeah. and you get transaction volumes that start to really accelerate. And then one of the stats that we had in our, in our email, this, this, this week going out to clients kind of tried to capture this, how change on the margin really can lead to higher volumes. And so I'm going to see if I can get the stat right. Yeah. 5% of all households in the United States transacted bought a home in 2020. Mm. So there's 128 million households across the country. Okay. If that goes up to five and a half percent, right? So a small change percentage wise, that's an additional 640,000 transactions. Wow. And back during the subprime crazy days, I don't want to go back there you probably don't want to go back there, but just to give you perspective, seven and a half percent of households transacted. That was an all time high. So I think it just shows how little changes when you stack those up can have meaningful impact um, changes on the housing market. That's awesome. This is the next question I knew I wanted to ask you. What, another, another prediction I have is what is home ownership today? Like 68% roughly? Yeah, there's there's some caveats there too because the census data. I mean, this is them. They've they've basically said this and made a disclaimer like, hey, you you probably can't trust our data, right? Great. <laughs> um, but I I think what we like to we like to look at the directional trends and yes, it 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 is going higher. Yeah. So let's just call it sixty eight so I can get my comparison in. Yep. Or, or so. Again, I have experience back. So what I saw again in the market is I think at least I, I believe the number was it got as high as 71% in the craziness of 07, 08. Because again, what you were having, as I was seeing this as an apartment owner, I was having people that were qualifying for a loan, probably countrywide, who would come into a house for less than a down payment and the deposit. Yeah. Basically 0%, right? Or half a percent or whatever it was. Yep. And what happened is that last two or 3% from 68 to 71, whatever it was, was artificial. It was fake right? They should have stayed renters because they came right back, right? It just boomeranged back. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yep. But what's happening now is lending, generally speaking, is still rigid. They're actually qualifying for a loan. So I believe, again, I could be off on the numbers. I think we're around 68% today. I think by the end of 2021, so 13 months from now, we could be knocking on the door of 70%. And I think most of that is the generational change with millennials buying their first home. Am I nuts? Is that too fast? Or what do you think? So I'm not going to try to forecast the home ownership rate just okay. because it's, it's so volatile. But I think just my, if you just rewound our conversation in the last five or 10 minutes, yeah. all the things that we're saying yeah. supports that that's going to go directionally higher. And okay. probably the rate of change on it is going to be accelerated, I think, versus prior years. Because the thing is, too, like on the demographic side, yeah, we were the most bullish on entry level because of what you just mentioned, pre-COVID. And it was the strongest part of the market. Um, and on the new home construction side, builders actually had finally started providing supply. Right. And so like that has not gone, gone away. If anything, now during COVID, post-COVID, still there and it's accelerating. Yeah. So the last question I knew I wanted to ask you if you have time for it is, again, a lot of these people pointing at just stupid crashes are saying we've got 3.2 or 3.1 million people in forbearance. We've got frustrated landlords that can't evict. I certainly have my thoughts on all of that, but where do you come down? You know, on, those are facts. Yep. But when you really start carving it up, 
I, you know, I don't think it plays out, but I'd love your thoughts on those topics. No, I, so, so we, we agree. Um, the, so if you, if you, if you start peeling back the layers on those, those homes or mortgages that, that are in forbearance, the, um, the equity story is a complete 180 from what it was during the subprime crisis. And if you look at, and I think Black Knight does a good job of this, where they Mm -hmm. actually show that the overwhelming majority of these loans that are in forbearance, they've got a ton of equity. So those are not going to be forced sellers. And if they do have to sell once the forbearance window expires, although, you know, we think they're going to continue to push that out. um, It's, it's not going to just crash prices. And then the other thing too, we spend a ton of time in the single family rental industry. So we've been involved there all the way back to 2010 Mm -hmm. when the Blackstones of the world came in and said, Hey, can you help us figure out how to just buy as many homes as we possibly can? I remember that time. I was buying stuff until they came in and destroyed my market. Those bastards. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've got, um, they've got more money than God. So (laughs) yeah, exactly. It's pretty easy when you you got the printing press in your back. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry. Exactly. Um, And so that pool of capital wasn't institutionalized back during the last downturn. It was just starting to get going. Now you're 10 years later. And this kind of goes back to my earlier comments on, I can tell a lot about just the flow of traffic in my inbox. Mm -hmm. The fastest growing part of our business during COVID has been groups that are buying homes to then rent out and aggregate portfolios. So those, the big, the big groups were already clients of ours and we've gotten just a ton of interest in new groups coming in saying, hey, we're doing this. And then in addition to that, institutional money managers, domestic, global, sovereign wealth funds saying, hey, we can't touch multifamily right now. We can't touch leisure, leisure hospitality. We can't touch commercial. Agreed. We've got a mandate to put money into real estate. Single family rental is, is where we think it makes the most sense. And our research says that too, um, mm-hmm. just must be an objective. Mine too, for what it matters. <laughs> and so, you know, on the forbearance side, that pool of capital, which is now just massive yeah. and it is ready to go, they, they've been buying all the way through this. And so any inventory that, that comes on the market, mm-hmm. especially if it's at price points that make sense for them and kind of that entry level segment, yeah. I mean, they're going to they're gonna be all over it. So we are, we are not really all that worried. Yeah on the forbearance delinquency foreclosure side, because there's, I mean, they're, they're, they're waiting to buy it. Yeah. So this is how I broke it down. Just, you know, tell me where I'm off. I am. So let's just call it 3.2 million, you know, people in forbearance. When you start peeling back equity, people that did it for a, just a payment holiday, but they got the money. I mean, there's lots of things you could check down. I'm guesstimating there's maybe 400 to 600,000 homes that will be ultimately come on the market as a, as a, as a for sale, skinny equity, you know, maybe a short sale, maybe a foreclosure. But the yeah. other thing we didn't even talk about here is if it, what these, all these new investors don't get, you probably remember this, but do you remember how long it took to execute a foreclosure in California or Nevada in the last crisis? That's, that's that. I'm glad you bring that up too. And it's judicial versus non-judicial. Exactly. It plays a big role. Florida, New York. Yeah. Yep. It's, it was over 700 days in California and it was 1400 in Nevada. So if yeah. you think all this wave of foreclosures is going to come and like hit the market in 2021, you're an idiot because you don't know how to count. Um, <laughs> it's just like well, that. I, the, the, the thing too that I think um, people underestimate is that the government, I think, learned its lesson exactly. during the subprime crisis in that if we just 
let the housing market do what it's going to do and just completely back away and don't help anybody, it is going to impact the consumer for years. It's going to impact the banking sector for years. I mean, it really brings the economy down to its knees. And so that's why I think they've, they've, they've taken that lesson, applied it to today and said, you know what, we are going to try to help as much as we can. And working with lenders, working, working with borrowers. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah. it's helped and housing has done quite fine throughout this whole you know, global pandemic. Yeah. And then the other point I've just pushed out, and I think you've just mentioned it, but it's worth repeating. There will be some cities that will have pain. And the, I've been following New York, Las Vegas, San Francisco, but let's talk about Las Vegas, Orlando, right? Very yep. hospitality, uh, very set up. They have unemployment higher than national average. Vegas, last I heard, is at 20% or an 19 point, whatever. It's just bad. Yep. What, what I see happening is if inventory comes on and it will, to our last point, all that money sitting on the sideline, they're going to come in and buy those entry-level homes from the you know the casino workers and all of that, and they're going to be happy with a ten percent discount. They have the most patient capital. It's ridiculously cheap. So if you're if you're a mom and pop investor like me who's been waiting to buy something in Vegas and you want the fifty percent discount like there was last time, you're shit out of luck. It ain't going to happen. It, it it is it is not not going to happen. No, and and Vegas has been one of the strongest housing markets. Seven months in a row, record single family homes. Just I just found out November. Crazy. Yeah, um, and and rents in that market. I mean, they're not shooting up ten percent year over year on the single family rental side, but they're they're doing okay. Um, and again, single family. I'm glad you mentioned it. single family. Multifamily family. collections is eighty seven percent. That's not good. Yep, ex- exactly. Yeah. So like I'm looking over at my other screen here because we forecast rents on apartments and single family rental. And so for Vegas, we're forecasting 3% rent growth next year. On, wow, on 2021. There you go. Wow. And, and, and you kind of think about, well, wait, they've got some of the highest unemployment in the country. Um, but, you know, the things that we just talked about, yeah. there's just, um, there's a ton of demand also for single family yeah. rental. Yeah. And they're, and they're not building like they were in 06, right? They are not doing 100 lot developments. They're doing 10. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I guess we're closing this up. I know you have some time. I think, sing, again, single family. I think generally speaking, single family uh, rentals, if you can buy them, get 30-year fixed money if you can, right? Cheap. Uh, I always talk about getting to four, right? If you get to four single family rentals, especially if you get you know 3% interest rates and they're, and they're positive cash flow, so don't bet on appreciation. Uh, I think those are going to be great investments, Um I think 2021, if you can get them, because inventory is going to come back, you're going to have quality differences. I think, I think 2021 is going to be a much better year because 2020 has been hard, man. I wrote 250 offers and got nothing. Wow. Like the only deals I did were relationships. So I got six, but it was relationship. But if you're a new investor, like I was 20 years ago, buying out of the MLS, this has been a hard year. I'm telling people to get ready for 2021 because I think when supply comes back, quality difference come back and you can really buy some good rentals next year out of the MLS. That's what I'm telling people. What do you think? I think if you, if you just compare what we expect for next year versus 2020, there, there, there should be more supply. And, and it kind of goes back to the things that we were talking about earlier, where you start to get that churn, mm-hmm. people selling their, their, their first home moving up in the market. And so then that entry level home becomes available. Yep. Um, Generally but, make the best rentals. Yep. Yep. But don't, don't count on a lot of distress because yes, correct. I mean, the world would have to change massively. Policy would have to change massively for a lot of distress to hit the market next year. 
Uh, I guess one question, if you had time, I've heard rumors about a $15,000 first time homebuyer tax credit next year. That would be a, in my opinion, a horrible policy mistake because it would just add gas- gasoline to a raging fire. Am I crazy? So that is, that is literally, that is exactly um, the quote that I gave a reporter and they ran the story. I think it was realtor.com oh. where they were talking to a bunch of, 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 you know, people in the industry and trying to get their view. And I think I was the only one in, in this piece that said, like, let, let's take a step back. Do we, do we even need no <laughs> right now? Because if you think about why there was a, a tax credit during 08 through 10, it was because housing was in the tank. The economy was in the tank and, and, and people were trying to help the economy um, find its footing. And so that it made sense. But today you've got home prices up 10% plus year over year. Some markets like Phoenix are up 15%. You've got 3% mortgage rates. You've got the tightest supply that we've ever seen in the history of housing. Why do we need to do this? It doesn't just doesn't make sense. And so that the quote, like, go look it up. It was the exact same quote. It would be like throwing gasoline on the hottest part of the housing market right now. Wow. Very cool. Well, this has been so much fun for me, Rick. How can people follow you, get a, either follow you personally or John Burns Real Estate Consultant? Yeah. So we put out a ton of free newsletters on our website. And, and honestly, I think some of our best stuff is, is there. So if you just go to our website, realestateconsulting.com, uh, they're called our Building Market Intelligence Newsletters. Um, those are a great resource, especially for individual investors. And then we've got Twitter pages. So like my handle is just my name at Rick Palacios Jr. Um, I, I try to put out some interesting charts there. Um, so there's, there's a lot of cool, just free stuff that we do as well. Very cool, man. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy, busy man. So thank you for taking some time with our, our channel. Thanks, man. No, this was great. Nice talking, Michael. Thank you.